All right, good morning. Welcome to Teaching Others Also. And we're doing some more radio broadcast format. We're in Fishing for Souls. Go to John chapter 4 if you can, please. John chapter 4. We dealt yesterday with the process of conviction, and I hope you, you know, it helped a bit. Talk about sowing seeds of God's standard and seek, seeing self in God's eyes, seeking reconciliation, forgiveness, cleanness, that sort of thing. Today I want to start a thing called the power of testifying out of John chapter 4. Now I don't know, you know, sometimes it's a temptation to try to uh, read the signs and decide what's going on. Uh, on these recordings and putting them out there, we have the capacity to just see approximately uh, how many people are listening and how many hits it's had, that kind of stuff. That's just always, you know, something that concerns somebody that's trying to reach out. But at the same time, uh, I would say to you, you got you don't know. And I said that because I got to John chapter 4 and was thinking, you know, sometimes we don't know what God's doing. And here in John 4, all these things that happen start with just a one-on-one -on -one encounter. Now, I've called it the power of testifying, and here's why. In John chapter 4, we have a well-known, to many Christians, well-known story and account of the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with the person who's become known as the woman at the well. And this woman at the well was a one-on-one -on -one encounter, and the Lord, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ deals with her. And in dealing with her, he moves from the natural to the spiritual, which we'll talk about. But also in dealing with her, he deals with uh, getting her under conviction. He deals with, you know, the things that happen uh, for a person to start looking at their own life. He tells her, go get her husband. Well, she said, well, I don't have one. He said, well, you've well said in verse 17, 18, you've had five and the guy you got right now ain't even your husband. They talk a bit. He deals with her. She goes away. And she goes to town in verse 28 and 29. The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men. Now, she's saying it to the men because she knows no woman's going to listen to her with her reputation, first of all. And secondly, she says, verse 29, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Now I'm calling it the power of testifying, not the power of testimony. And here's why. <clears throat> in many of your minds, and be honest, only you have to admit it between you and God, because no one's sitting there looking at you. But when someone talks about the power of testimony, you think it's talking about the power of their life and how they lived and how they do live. Well, there's just a problem with that. God didn't tell you to point people to yourself. You say, well, what about a hypocrite and all that? I get that. I get that. But you see, a lot of witnessing today is, is people thinking that they're supposed to draw people by what God's done in their life, not who God is and what He knows. You see, nothing has changed outward in her, in her life. There's not been enough time. It's, it's within a few hours of her meeting Christ. But... Something's changed in her heart, in her mind, and it will come out through her voice. So the power of testifying, and you say, well, no, you've got to live it for a while. Well, if that's the case, then the Apostle Paul didn't do right, because Saul of Tarsus 
he started testifying of Christ right after he got saved, pretty much. You say, how could he do that? Because he wasn't talking about himself. He talked about his encounter. He's talking about the power of God. There was not a one, a two, a three, a four, or five year testimony as a people ought to have. Now, should you live right? Absolutely. Should you do right? Yes. But if you're not careful, you think that the effects of the gospel and the effects of the new birth are what you're supposed to be preaching and drawing people with. And he said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. We're supposed to be lifting up Christ. So we're going to look at this on the power of testifying. And there'll be several parts to it, obviously. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty large encounter. Now, the first thing is, in the beginning of the chapter, it says, verse 3, He left Judea to part again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Number one, you go where the fish are. You go where the fish are. Now, you may not know where the fish are, where the fish are. <laughs> so, let's say you go in freshwater and you go to a lake. Well, you don't necessarily know. Now, I know they got all kind of electronics and thousands and thousands of dollars and all that. But you got to go to the body of water where they are, even if you don't know where they are. That's not just a play on words. It's something I'm trying to get into your head. You got to go where they are, even though you don't know where they are. Now, Samaria was a place that the Jews scorned. The people from Samaria were called Samaritans. When you think of the good Samaritan, that wasn't because they were good people and known that. It's because he was a Samarian or a Samaritan, okay, that did good. You get me? So, the Jews looked down on them. They were what you would call crossbred, half-breed. They were people who had mixed with other things rather than the Jewish race. And uh, it's amazing to me how how ignorant the world is, but it shouldn't be. Uh, all the stuff about, you know, whether or not the Jews are a race and people are a race. You, it, your race is determined by your genetics, which is your genes, which is your generations, which is what God wrote about way back in the book of Genesis Genesis, Genesis, okay, all the way through. So these people are looked down on. So they're not sight fishing, S-I-G-H-T, but Jesus is going to go sight fishing, S-I-T-E. Let it sink in a minute. What do you mean? Well, he's not going sight fishing. He's going to the Samaritans. He's not going sight fishing. Well, sight fishing is... A lot of people do sight fishing. Sight fishing is when you're fishing in a body of water and you can either see evidence or actually see the fish. In some ways, it's more difficult. In some ways, it gives you advantage to know. If you're throwing a net and you can see a school of fish coming and you get ready and you throw that net, you stand quietly and they go by and you throw it, you've got an advantage. There's times you throw the net, you don't see a thing on the surface, depending on what the water temperature is, where the fish are holding in the water column, where they're moving, etc., etc., but sight fishing is when you see, S-I-G-H-T, you see the fish and you might throw the lure out there or especially like in fly fishing, it's a blast. You throw that fly out there and you sort of lead them and just all kind of stuff you do. Jesus is not sight fishing, but he is S-I-T-E, sight fishing. He goes to the well and he's wearied and so partly the natural things of life, he's wearied. Look at verse 6. 
Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So it's about noon. It's in the heat of the day. And this woman is coming, is coming in the heat of the day, which people don't normally do to labor and get their water because it's the hottest time of the day to come and get it and carry it back. She comes, there's going to be less conflict. She might not get run off that way. She's definitely an outcast among outcasts, if you understand how the Jewish people felt about the Samaritans. So he's sight fishing, but not by sight. <laughs> All right, now that's important. It's really important. This is one of the main things about the fishing part of fishing for souls. You got to go where the fish are, but you don't know who the fish are. See? And if you start trying to profile and do all that, you're going to miss. So in this case, of course, he's just following the Lord's nudging. And for today's thought, that deals to say number two, you deal with whoever God sends you. Now that's going to be a challenge for some of y'all because of so many prejudices you have. Prejudice isn't just about, say, someone's uh, economic statue or their race or whatever, or their color. Prejudice is prejudicial. It's anything that you've judged before the time. Uh, people are prejudiced. They profile things all the time. They profile what someone's wearing. If you don't think that's the case, then how come people literally get paid to be a walking billboard for clothing companies? These cowboys, they'll have stuff, they'll have what branded jeans they're wearing. They don't just wear them, they've got it on their shirt. These guys that play golf, they'll have it on their cap, they'll have it on one side of their shirt, they'll have it on a sleeve, they'll have it on their bag. In sports, they've got logos and they've got all kind of stuff. It's If you don't think that matters to people's minds, it does. I've seen people look down their nose at somebody because they didn't happen to pronounce a certain brand of clothing right. And I will confess. I will confess that when I meet those kind of people and if I have more than one interaction, I will purposely, and I'll, I'll admit this, I will purposely mispronounce that clothing brand in front of them. And I just love to see them wince. Because what could be worse than somebody who's a snob about how you pronounce what somebody named a piece of clothing? Do you not get that? See, if you're not careful, you don't deal with whoever God sends you because you're sight fishing, S-I-G-H-T. When you need to be sight fishing, S-I-T-E, and fish for whatever God sends you. Now, I understand. I understand there's people who are bass fishermen and people who are crappie fishermen. And <clears throat> then there's people out in the salt water and they're redfish and tarpon and speckled trout and grouper and black drum and all those things there are people in freshwater who are catfish okay they're gonna catch they love i saw a little clip of a of a young fellow called a monster catfish and uh and i was like you know a lot of people would be upset if they called a catfish well this kid wasn't upset he was grinning from ear to ear maybe about 10 years old and he was he was thrilled to death catching a catfish my whole point is this. You've got to learn to deal with whoever God sends. 
Now, you can't do that if you're not prepared and you haven't let God deal with some of your prejudices, some of your preconceived ideas. If you deal with people from a preconceived idea, you're going to hinder the gospel. You're talking to somebody and they say, oh, I'm a Catholic. And immediately all your wonderful study kicks in and you're fixing to tell them what they believe. When I love what Doc used to say, he'd say, deal with them where they're at. Deal with them where they're at. He said, let them tell you what they believe. They, for you to tell them what uh, somebody wrote who was a priest, we'll say, and, you know, 50 years in the Church of Rome, and he, and he wrote his book, and I've read it, and I've read a bunch of those books. But for you to start telling them what they believe, is it's pride, number one. It's presumption, number two. And it pushes them away. And the reason it pushes them away is you don't know what they believe. You say, well, if they're practicing... They, I, I've met people who were absolutely dedicated practicing in different religions, and they didn't know what the heart of that was because that's not the issue. The issue is what are they believing in? You say, well, I'm going to destroy their faith in whatever it is, Catholic Church or SDAs or Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. And you know you could do that and they would never still find Christ. You know what, what the idea is? The whole aim is to turn them to Christ. If they turn to Christ, they've turned their back on everything else. I mean, that's so simple. It's I know. It sounds crazy. It's so simple. First Thessalonians, he said, they turn to God from idols. Use the illustration for him. Use it again. If you're headed east and you say, well, I've got to turn and you head south, you still haven't turned north. If you head west, you still haven't turned north. But the easiest way to make sure you've turned your back on the east, the south, and the west is to turn north. So the power of testifying is that we testify unto Christ and God, not what He did for us. For example, in this passage, the power is in her testifying of what He knows. Come see a man, verse 29, which told me all things ever I did. Remember yesterday we were talking about the, the uh, process of conviction? Well, this power of testifying is you're testifying on somebody that's reading your mail. And amen, that's exactly what happened to me when I got saved. It wasn't any one person's testimony. It was the testifying unto Christ. So I pray that'll be something for you to think about this weekend. And if you get a chance, you go where the fish are and deal with whoever God sends you. I'll see you Monday.